Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode 43, talking about the book Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Keep listening to find out why everything is a mess. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back and it's Monday evening here in Melbourne. I am recording the podcast and since it is the evening, no matcha tea today while I'm recording, otherwise I will be up all night and that was never a good thing. If we're already connected on social media, you'll probably know that over the last few days I've been at the VizConf conference for 2019, one of my favourite events of the year working with other visual facilitators, collaborators, scribes, graphic recorders, agile coaches, and all kinds of different professionals who are using visuals in their work. Such a welcoming conference and one that the generosity is just phenomenal. I I can't share it enough how good the generosity is in that community and how everyone just wants to collaborate and share ideas, which is an awesome place to go. Found myself recommending a couple of books while I was there, particularly Art of Gathering, of course, that is my favourite book to recommend. Atomic Habits came up, and also When by Daniel Pink, which I'm going to be talking about in a couple of episodes' time. Shout out to anyone who I did meet at that event. I know I was talking about the podcast and books with quite a few people. I also found some other bookworms while I was there. Speaking of recent books and bookworms, Talking to Strangers is Malcolm Gladwell's latest book. And I know I've talked about a Malcolm Gladwell book in the last few episodes. We've had a bit of a a Gladwell glut in the last few weeks. So episode 39, I talked about the book Blink. Earlier episode, I talked about Outliers, which is the famous one with the 10,000 hour rule in. So go back and listen to those if you haven't already. Links are in the show notes to make it easy for you to find. This is his latest release. It was only out a few weeks ago in at the end of September. So less than a month ago, I picked it up while I was in Boston a few weeks ago, and I, which meant I was lucky enough to get the American cover, which is much nicer than the European, the UK and the Australian cover. I always find it interesting when authors use different covers for different uh, different markets and I kind of think, well, what is it about different colours that serve different audiences better? Speaking of author, a little bit about the author. Malcolm Gladwell, if you haven't heard of him, is the author of five New York Times bestsellers. The Tipping Point, Blink, Outliers, What the Dog Saw and David and Goliath. He's also the co-founder of Pushkin Industries, an audio content company that produces the podcast Revisionist History, which I very much recommend, which reconsiders things both overlooked and misunderstood, and Broken Record, where he, Rick Rubin and Bruce Headlam interview musicians across a wide range of genres. Really need to listen to that because I'm a big music fan. Gladwell has been included in the Time 100 Most Influential People list and is touted as one of foreign policy's top global thinkers. That's taken from Malcolm's website, gladwellbooks.com. Link in the show notes. A little bit about the book. Something is very wrong, Gladwell argues, with the tools and strategies we use to make sense of people we don't know. And because we don't know how to talk to strangers, we're inviting conflict and misunderstanding in ways that have a profound effect on our lives and the world. In July 2015, a young black woman named Sandra Bland was pulled over for a minor traffic violation in rural Texas. Minutes later, she was arrested and jailed. Three days later, she committed suicide in her cell. What went wrong? Talking to strangers is all about what happens when we encounter people we don't know, why it often goes awry, and what it says about us. How do we make sense of the unfamiliar? Why are we so bad at judging someone, reading a face, or detecting a lie? And why do we so often fail to get other people? No one shows us who we are like Malcolm Gladwell. Here he sets out to understand why we act the way we do 
and how we all might know a little more about those we don't. That was taken from the Amazon book blurb for the book. Now I'll talk a little bit more as we go through about how I found this book and how I, whether I would recommend it or not. There's been quite a bit of chat in the Bookstagram community about this book and whether we like it or not as a, as a collective, apparently we will have one mind now, uh, but whether people have enjoyed it or not, especially compared to Gladwell's other books, which are obviously very popular. Malcolm's also been talking a lot, if you've watched any or read any interviews with him about this book, he said it's the first book he's written through anger which is very interesting when you then read the book to see how that comes out. And especially if you're familiar with some of his other work, which is usually written through curiosity more than anything. I'm a big fan of Malcolm's work. His storytelling ability is second to none and just the way he connects and tells stories and shares facts and interesting things, I think is fantastic. So without further ado, these are the three big ideas I took from the book, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Big idea number one it's a mess. And really, this could have almost been the only big idea that I took from the book or that anyone could take from the book. Because that's what it comes down to. It's a bit of a mess. The biggest idea that is that we can't read others. We don't have the right expectations or skills to do so. And even people who we'd hope and expect to be good aren't good at reading others. That includes, uh, there was various stories in the book about high-level police officers, people who have worked in interrogation for many, many years and are supposedly excellent at reading other people and being able to tell who's who did it and or who done it and who didn't. But it turns out they can't. The other example was around judges. So judges at bail hearings. And interestingly, judges in bail hearings will often demand to see the accused person so they can eye them up in person, human to human, and decide whether they could be trusted with a bail amount or whether they need to be sent back to jail to await their hearing. What they found though was that judges made very poor decisions on who should be sent back to jail and who should be released on bail. Even more frightening is that AI and some algorithms that they ran over that particular sample of of the accused were much more accurate. So actually the judge almost shouldn't have been there at all and if a computer had run a bit of a algorithm over those people, their history, who they were, what they'd been, if they'd been accused of something before, they would have had way fewer re-offenses or offenses for the people who are out on bail than if the, than based on what the judges did. Which is quite worrying and, and rather frightening when you think about that all the power for bail hearings is in judges' hands. There's also stories in the book around people who, and I'll talk about some of those examples as we go through the other big ideas, people who have been accused of things incorrectly based on people's expectation of what they should or shouldn't have done, how bad we are at particularly reading people who are lying but are very good at hiding it, and vice versa, people who aren't lying but don't quite act as we'd expect them to. So all in all, it's a bit of a mess. We can't read other people, we don't know what they're thinking, we don't know what they're going to do, and we make decisions based on all that very bad information and assumption. Now, if I think about the book overall, like I said, this was almost the biggest takeaway. And one of the things that uh, I feel that a lot of people have been disappointed about is that Malcolm doesn't really give any good indications of what we should do about it. And maybe that's because there aren't any. And that's kind of the point of the book is that we're bad at this. We can't fix that because we're human and it's all based on human flaw that makes us bad at this. So you can't necessarily learn how to be better at it. The other thing is that the book is fairly long and the biggest conclusion of that is, yep, we're not very good at this, we can't get any better, the end. 
So that was big idea number one, it's a mess. Big idea number two is the default to truth. And this is as humans, we default to truth and we basically couldn't survive otherwise. Global markets, financial systems, economies, and everything else that humans, us humans rely on in the modern age and even in the pre-modern age, would not have got this far if we didn't default to truth and give people the benefit of the doubt. There's a couple of stories in the book around sex offenders who were caught doing something really quite suspicious, but whoever caught them doing it thought, oh no, everything's fine, because they trusted that person initially. They knew them, they thought, no, no, they've got a good reputation, that can't possibly, I can't have seen what I just saw, because that it must be wrong, I must be wrong, I must be mistaken, because that person's a good person. Even more worryingly, potentially, is the, the people who met Hitler in the 1930s, before World War II kicked off. They went and met him, he gave them all the good, the charm that he was apparently very good at, and made them believe that, no, no, I don't have any ill intention, I kind of just want a little bit of extra land from maybe Poland, maybe Switzerland, but oh, after I've, you know, taken that, that's it, I'm done, I'm, I'm not doing anything else bad, that would, you know, no, no, that's not what I'm going to do at all. And they went away believing him, thinking, no, he's quite a good bloke, is Hitler. I believe him, I trust him, he's given me his word. Now, as we know, that didn't turn out so well for really anyone. But those people, those politicians, who again are very used to dealing with some pretty shifty characters, being politicians, went away thinking, no, Hitler, good bloke, we, we can trust him. Now, hindsight, I realise, is a wonderful thing, but I don't know, I think I probably would have been quite suspicious of him anyway. Now this obviously lets us survive, like I said, as humans and as species and all the systems and things that keep us working and living and making money. But there's clearly quite a dark side to defaulting to truth. However, going back to big idea number one about it being a mess and us not being able to read other people very well, it's quite hard to actually not default to truth or to challenge that because we end up questioning everything and everyone and undermining then other social systems that keep us safe and well and operating. So that's big idea number two, the default to truth. Big idea number three, humans are not see-through. Transparency was a big part of the book and there's quite a chunky chapter on this. I found this bit really interesting and this is the idea that if something doesn't meet our expectation, generally around someone's outward appearance, and I don't mean how they dress or what they look like, but how they behave in a certain situation, then we make bad decisions. The biggest argument against this, or for this, depending on which way you look at it, was the Amanda Knox case in the Meredith Kircher murder trial. Amanda Knox is just a bit of an old character and she didn't act the way that people expected or wanted a grieving friend to act in the wake of Meredith's death. As a result, she was found guilty for something that she didn't do purely based on people thinking she was a bit weird. And because she acted a bit weird and not how we would expect someone to act in that situation, the immediate assumption was that she was guilty and hiding something and wrong, which has later been, to been found out to be very untrue and was a, quite a significant miscarriage of justice. Now this goes both ways. There's also then situations where people did do something really terrible but because they acted very well, as if as we would expect someone who was, uh, who was innocent to act, they are then seen to be innocent. So transparency works, but only when things are almost like they are in a sitcom. People act and react in sitcoms, and they give the example of friends. 
being a great example of this, that you could almost watch friends with the sound off and know exactly what someone's thinking, how they're feeling at different points of time without having to actually follow any of the dialogue because it's scripted, it's well, it's well, it's acted in a way that we expect people to act and respond for those situations. However, things are obviously not quite as simple as they are in Friends, so we might come across people who act in a different way. And this causes us problems because, as in Big Idea number one, it's a mess and we can't read people very well. So this transparency idea really goes across many things. And again, you can think about this in work. You can think about this with your clients. You can think about this with your family, your friends, other people that you have known, loved, liked, not liked at all in your life. And how if they didn't act in a certain way at a certain time, how we judge them for that. And this is because big idea number three, humans are not see-through. So a quick recap of the three big ideas from the book Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Number one, it's a mess. Number two, default to truth. And big idea number three, humans are not see-through. As I said, I really enjoyed the book in terms of the stories, the case studies. I learned actually a lot more about some famous things that I didn't know about or didn't know much about. The Amanda Knox trial and Meredith Kircher murder was, was one of them. Also, some of the famous people or famous politicians who met Hitler and decided he seemed like an all right bloke. Even the story that runs throughout and the, the case study, I suppose, that's, that bookends this book about Sandra Bland, who was pulled over for the minor traffic offence in Texas, and then a couple of days later ended up committing suicide in her cell. All of those things, in some way or another, escalated from someone being misunderstood and someone else not taking the time to understand the other person and their perspective. Making assumptions, reading too much into transparency or lack of transparency, coupling things in the wrong way. Coupling is another interesting chapter in the book about how certain things that we think are widespread or think are across a bigger area are often, or more often than not, when you look at the numbers, are really specific in terms of where those hotspots are. Crime is one of them, and there's some really interesting crime statistics from particularly from New York, but also some other other cities as well. Also, in terms of some disease, certain diseases, so AIDS, for example, which in the 80s seemed like an epidemic across the US, actually was quite concentrated into certain areas. So it was about thinking, well, let's not focus on trying to solve everything for everyone, because we can actually solve 80% of the problem by focusing on 5% of the area. I also found the chapter about interrogation really interesting, especially about the impact it has on people's memory and how whilst you may think that interrogation for some of the worst criminals is fine, when you read the statistics around the impact on their memory and how accurate what they have just told you is or potentially isn't, it is quite scary to think about what is again being said that is in no way reliable under those particularly stressful situations and circumstances. So like I said, the book was fascinating. I really enjoy it. I love Malcolm's storytelling. I love the way he tells and expands and goes into different nooks and crannies that you wouldn't necessarily think of or have heard of previously. But I still wonder, what is what is the so what? And all the way through the book, I was thinking, I wonder where this is going. And yes, like I said, it does open and close the story of Sandra Bland, who, like I said, was the, the lady in Texas. But again, what what was I missing? What am I going to do with this information other than being interested and fascinated by some of it? And probably we'll go and read up more things about some of those cases that were in the book because they were interesting to me. 
So I wouldn't necessarily not recommend the book, if that makes sense, because it was really interesting. That said, did I learn too much from it? I'm not sure. Could I necessarily apply it in my everyday life? Well, maybe, because it will make me think about some biases and particularly around transparency. And if I find myself judging someone because they reacted funny to what I expected, then I may put an extra lens of curiosity over that and actually ask them things rather than immediately judging that they did or didn't do something or they feel or didn't feel something. So it maybe is one I'm going to sit and ponder for a while and might even come back to you in a future episode if I have a big aha moment about how this is relevant to my life or to my work. If you do like interesting case studies and stories though, 100% recommend it. You won't get much, I don't think you'll get many books that are better than this in terms of the breadth and depth that it goes into. And it was a really enjoyable read and and a well-written book, as you'd expect from Malcolm Gladwell. If you've read the book, I'd love to hear from you. My contact details are, as usual, in the show notes. What did you think? Did you take a big aha moment away? What did you learn, if anything? And am I missing something? Have I just completely missed the point? I would love for you to let me know. Otherwise, until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.